Well, if you are a guest with us today, please make sure to get a connection card with the, with the greeters and just to enjoy in conversation with the people in our church. And we'll be today in the Epistle of Romans. We'll continue with our study in the Epistle of Romans in, the, in chapter 5. And this message today, <clears throat> it's titled, The Blessings of Justification. Horatio Spafford was a successful lawyer and businessman with a beautiful family, wife, five children. But his son died uh, of pneumonia in 1871. And that same year, Spafford lost almost everything in the Chicago fire. In God's mercy, the Spafford's business flourished again. But in 1873, the family decided to take some vacation in Europe. Uh, his four daughters and his wife took a ship, and he was not able to join them because he was needing to deal with some business issues. But he promised that he will be with them sooner. So they board the ship, and four days later, um, the ship where the Spafford family was traveling collided with another ship. And their ship sank instantly. And then Spafford, four days later, received a telegram saying, Saved alone, what shall I do? Spafford quickly embarked another ship to be with his wife. And the captain of, these, of the ship in, he was in, the, in the one he was traveling showed him the precise place where the accident happened. And the story tells us that in that moment, Spafford wrote the lyrics of the hymn we know as It Is Well With My Soul. Now, how can someone react like this, writing these kinds of things after such a painful process? How can a Christian can deal with so much hard things in their lives? How is it that we can resist pain and suffering? Well, this morning we will meditate on a glorious passage in Scripture in Romans 5, 1 to 11, which teaches us four blessings that we have because we are being justified by God through our Lord Jesus Christ. The first blessing is that we have a peaceful access in verses 1 and 2. The second one is the blessing of a trust to face life. The third one will be the blessing of an incomparable love. And the fourth one is the blessing of a reconciling salvation. Please open your Bibles, go to Romans 5, and let's read the text. Therefore, since we have been justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. Through him, we have also obtained access by faith into this grace in which we stand and we rejoice in the hope of the glory of God. 
Not only that, but we rejoice in our sufferings, knowing that suffering produces endurance, and endurance produces character, and character produces hope, and hope does not put us to shame because God's love has been poured into our hearts through the Holy Spirit who has been given to us. For, far, for while we were still weak, at the right time, Christ died for the ungodly. For one would scarcely die for a righteous person, though perhaps for a good person, one would dare even to die. But God shows his love for us in that, while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Since therefore we have now been justified by his blood, much more shall we be saved by him from the wrath of God. For if while we were enemies, we were reconciled to God by the death of his son, much more now that we are reconciled, shall we be saved by his life. More than that, we also rejoice in God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom we have, through whom we have now received reconciliation. Let's pray. And Father, thank you for these truths. Thank you because we know that it was through faith that we got a new position. That there is reconciliation with you, the holy God. And Father, help us to understand and meditate on your truth, on your word. Please, Lord, give us the ability to understand and receive the message that you have for us this morning. Help me while I'm trying to explain this word and help my brothers and sisters to have heart opens and, heart, and open minds to receive what you want to tell us today. We praise you and we pray these things in the name of our Savior, Jesus Christ. Amen. So this first blessing is a peaceful entrance, verse 1 and 2. And this peaceful access is because we have been justified by faith. The faith that the Lord has given us removed the veil from our eyes so we can see and receive Jesus as Savior. And that we can put our lives in his hands. We've been justified, and this implies that every person who has trust Christ can be sure that God has declared him innocent. Because of the imputed righteousness we receive from Christ, we can understand and we know that God treats us as if we have lived the perfect life that Jesus Christ lived. It's not that we need to do that, but we receive from Christ this perfect act and work and that's why God can see us as righteous. The work that Jesus did presents us as righteous before the throne of God. The verdict of God was guilty of all charge, but because of the work of Christ, we hear not guilty. We can perfectly understand this word justified. When someone does something that we don't like or something that is wrong and someone tries to defend this person saying like, you know, this person is not like that, probably is just under a lot of stress or 
was distracted. This person didn't meant to do that. A normal reaction could be just don't justify him. He was rude. He was irresponsible. Just don't try to justify this person. And we understand that this person is trying to defend someone, saying that it was not the intention, that he didn't act deliberately in that precise moment. And that bothers us when we know that someone did it trying to harm or trying to do something wrong. Well, the thing here is that Jesus, when he comes and justifies us with his Father, he's not trying to deceive the Father. He knows we act in sin in a deliberate way. He knows we enjoy our sinful activity. But he embraced that truth, and he knows that truth, but still, he gives us a perfect life in him to present us with the Father as righteous. And that is just a beautiful truth. That is just something incredible that we must understand that the God Almighty, the eternal God, that one that knows everything, knows our condition and still treats us as his perfect son. Let's go to Romans 3, 25 and 26 to understand this great work and what God is doing through the work of Jesus Christ, whom God put forward as propitiation by his blood to be received by faith. This was to show God's righteousness because in his divine forbearance, he had passed over former sins. It was to show his righteousness at the present time so that he might be just and the justifier of the one who has faith in Jesus. He is the just. He is the one that justifies us. It was not us. Everything was done by him. Christ was placed as propitiation in his blood. This is to say in his death. For those who have received him in faith. Now we can see this enormous gift of God that has made us just, that has made us righteous through Jesus without our participation. See verse 26, because he is the one that is just. He is the one who justifies. The relationship that we had with God was sinners with a holy God. The enmity between God and man was clear, was open. And this is why our preaching is so important. Because there's a lot of people that they believe there's no enmity with God. That they believe there's no war with God. But we know that the holy God has enmity with sin and sinners. But the message we have and the good news we have is that there's a way of peace. There is a way of salvation from this dynamic. 
Now we who are justified enjoy a real position of peace with God. We're not in war with God. There's no enmity between God and us. There's real peace. And the great thing of this is that this peace does not depend on our mood, does not depend on our feelings or emotions, does not depend on what we do. Because this depends on the work of Jesus, that he brings us righteous to the throne. And this is a beautiful truth, because we know we can achieve that. There's no way we can get there. But Jesus did it for us. In spite of our constant faults and failures and sins, our position with God does not change. We have an entrance, an access for repentance. But our position, our objective relationship with God, that one doesn't change because doesn't depend on us and that's a glorious thing to know that's a great way to face life to understand our condition Jesus said this in a beautiful way to Peter the one who has bed does not need to wash except for his feet we need repentance, but we don't need the clean, to be clean again because we are already clean. We can come to the throne. Does this mean that justification then implies that I can give freedom to my flesh and live as I want? Of course not. And Paul is going to make this point in Romans 6, verses 1 and 2. What shall we say then? Are we to continue in sin that grace may abound? By no means. By no means. There's no possibility of think like that. We've, we are talking about peace, but we also need to talk about access. The part of this blessing is that we have a position of peace, but now we enjoy in God's grace access. Today we have access by, the, by faith to this grace. It is a beautiful expression. Through justification, we have access to a relationship of grace that comes from the works of Jesus. And it also comes with all the blessings that we receive in our position of children of God. Who was able to enter to God's presence? One man, once a year. But we know that before Christ, nobody was able to look at God. Nobody had access. Only the high priest was able to come once a year, and he had to follow a lot of cleaning requirements. But after Christ, Paul reminds us that as believers, we have access to this grace. In the Old Testament, those who realized that they were in front of the angel of the Lord, they were afraid to death. 
And the Lord constantly answered them, Peace be to you. Do not fear. You shall not die. Because the one who saw God in that time will die. That's why Moses was afraid to approach. That was Gideon felt so much fear when he realized he was in front of the angel of the Lord. They were afraid to death because there was no access. And now we go to Hebrews 4, 6, and we read, Let us then with confidence draw near to the throne of grace. Do we understand this? Do we understand how huge and glorious this is? Dear brothers and sisters, we can draw near without fear of dying to the throne of grace. The position we have today is sons and daughters with a father, not sinners with a holy God. That's a blessing. That is beautiful. We, through faith in Jesus Christ, in our justification, have access to God. There is no parallel. There is no possibility to compare this with anything else. The Lord Jesus Christ has given us access to God. And grace is the expression of love for one who does not deserve this love, but deserves punishment and anger. For the wage of sin is death. But we receive grace today that allows us to say, Abba, Father. That's the grace we receive. That's the grace we have. Because God has justified us through faith, we rejoice in hope, says the verse. Hope is a joyful expectation of a full trust that it's based on God's promises. That's hope. It's not the human idea that we have of hope. If I say, I hope we'll have a good year, you know what I meant. I'm not sure. But in this passage, hope means that whatever has been promised, it's already done. It doesn't matter if it hasn't happened yet. It is done, and we can count it as done, because God promised that. And that's our hope. We must remember that this meaning of the word hope is different than the way we use it today. But when we go to the Bible, it has a total different meaning. It's of certainty. Examples of daily life. When you invite someone and they say, I, I'll hope I come, that person is not really convinced it will come. He might come, he might not. And probably this one for you that have children, when your kid comes and says, like, I hope I will pass the exam, you know for sure that kid doesn't know that he, did he knows he didn't do really well in the exam. He's hoping. He's not sure. When they study and the exam is easy, it's like, oh, I know I will pass the exam. It was so easy, piece of cake. But I hope 
It's uncertainty. We don't know. But when the Bible talks about hope, it's absolute certainty. When the Bible talks about hope, it's complete. We can rest because it's done. It's something that we can trust that it's 100% safe. So we have peaceful access. And that's a blessing. Second blessing, it's a trust to faith life. Verses 3 to 5. Not only that, but we rejoice in our sufferings knowing that sufferings produces endurance. And endurance produces character and character produces hope. And hope does not put us to shame because God's love has been poured out into our hearts through the Holy Spirit who has been given to us. Living, a, living the Christian life in a sinful and fallen world is not a simple task. Not only this, Paul is being emphatic here. He's saying that we rejoice in the hope of the glory of God, and we do. But now he says that we rejoice in suffering. And sufferings are situations that we face because we love the Lord, not consequences of sin. We need to make that difference. But these sufferings are calamities, injustice, temptation. Things that come when we're not pushing those to come. Suffering, this suffering, is something that God allowed in our lives so he can use this for our sanctification. Let's pray that may these sufferings will lead us to joy. And we need to pray that because it's not easy. That's not the natural reaction towards suffering. And this is not because we believe everything is going to be okay. It's not that false expectation like, well, don't worry, it will be okay. That's our hope. Or, you know, we're strong enough, we'll deal with this. Or, I'm just too spiritual, this can't go wrong. No. No, we have hope in suffering because we know that that suffering will bring works and fruit for our sanctification. That's why we can rejoice in suffering. Suffering is an element that gives us joy because it means that the Lord is working in us. And that the sanctification process is taking place. Suffering produces a state of strength. Usually, suffering makes a lot of people to disown God, to deny God, to hate God. But in a believer, it produces endurance. It is the attitude of an active expectation in which God did not leave us, but strength us. Endurance is waiting in the perfect plan of God, even though it makes no sense. Endurance is also the ability to resist the problems that we face every day, 
living in a fallen world that produces a proven character, as NASB translates. Suffering proves that our obedience results in a genuine obedience. It's not an obedience that comes from tradition. It's not an obedience that comes on, on a religious system. It's not an obedience that we inherit because of our family religious tradition. Because that obedience normally when the trial comes, breaks easily. But it's when the genuine obedience and trust in the Lord shines and we are able to remain obedient. It's to resist. But this is not to be arrogant and to say, I resist, they didn't. I'm so good. This should not sound like haughtiness, but this must humble us to bring us to our knees in gratitude to God, saying, thanks, Lord, because by your grace, I endure the test. If we are able to resist, it's because of grace and not because of us. Being joyful in the trial that proves our character is not to feel more holy, is not to feel more, more spiritual, but is to understand that suffering is used by God to make, to make us obedient with him. Because the priority of life is not our comfort, it's not our happiness, it's our faithfulness and our obedience. That's the priority. This passage continues explaining that a proven character produces hope so that our faith and confidence, and confidence grow. Everything that will help us to obey God better in a more significant way should be received with joy, even if it's suffering. For sure, it's difficult when someone that we love is suffering. Our natural reaction is to stop the suffering. That's for sure, that's natural. But let's try to remember that when someone, a believer, is going through suffering, we need to know and we need to remember that it's a process that God is using for good. Now, it is easy to talk about suffering when you are not in the midst of suffering. Or when someone that you love is not in a crisis of suffering. It's really easy. And we recognize that it's easy to feel that we will collapse. It's easy to feel that we don't have enough faith to face these things. But let's pray that in our weakness... In the weakness of our faith, we will go back to these truths and repeat and preach these truths all over again, again and again, when we cross through suffering. This is a testimony of many who have been through pain and grieving. Always return to these truths. 
and as a personal testimony because I don't want to sound insensitive from the pulpit. That's pretty easy to come and give recipes of how to deal with suffering from this place. But as a personal testimony, I can tell you, dear brothers and sisters, that in the moments of greatest pain in my life, in the moments of greatest suffering in my life, these very passages were the anchor of my faith. And although we know that God is perfect and everything is under his perfect control, we need to remind ourselves that he's under control, that he controls all this, and that he's working these for our good because the Lord is never wrong with his children. He's never wrong with his children. It is then when we can see this process of sanctification and the process of being mature as a believer that will fill with confidence our life, to face life. This endurance is produced because we learn to depend on the Lord and wait on Him. That proves our character, and it's not always easy because this idea, it's the resemblance of the violent process of refining metals. Put them into intense fire to prove their purity. To prove our character is this spiritual process that is a spiritual test of our spiritual purity. This does not mean that we are perfect. This does not mean that we are not in sin sometimes, that we fail. But we rejoice because the work of sanctification that the Lord is doing in us. Our responsibility is to battle temptation, is to resist temptation, is to be obedient. But after going through sufferings, endurance, and trail of our character, we have joy because our hope will not embarrass us. Because we can trust our hope. This heavenly hope which will never embarrass anybody, will never fail. God will never shame you. Never. Christ showed that the purpose of God is always fulfilled. Even when people mock, even when people believe it's not happening, Christ is a demonstration that God always fulfills. That our hope will never put us to shame. And we have a guarantee. We have a guarantee that God's love is in us and was poured out for us. That's a guarantee we have. The blessing to be certain to face life is that the love of God is in us through the Holy Spirit that guides us. And dwells us and exhorts our, our spirits that we have God's love. What a, better, what a better way to face life. Knowing that God himself has poured out his love for us. And again, this, will not, this doesn't mean we will not have fear. Or we'll be worrying. 
and we'll feel anxiety. But this is the perfect anchor in which we can face adversity. These truths are a perfect anchor for us to face trial and suffering. Hope does not bring shame or disappointment. None of those who have weight in the Lord has, have been ashamed. There is no disappointment in our hope. It's not like the hope of your kids during their exams. It's a hope that we can trust. And we can live through this hope. The third one is the blessing of an incomparable love. Verses 6 to 8. For while we were still weak, at the right time, Christ died for the ungodly. For one who scarcely died for a righteous person, though perhaps for a good person, one would dare even to die. But God shows his love for us in that, while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Christ died for us when we were absolutely unable to respond to his love. Our weakness incapacitated us to answer to this great love. And, it's, and this verse says that Christ showed in the perfect time, in the right time, his love. Jesus died in the perfect time that the Father established for the dead in the cross. Christ died when we were not worthy of his love. We didn't deserve his love. And this truth must humble us. Because normally when someone sins against us, our natural response is to respond in sin. With our emotions. But this passage this, this passage is showing us that when men sin against God, Christ died for us. That's God's response. When we sin, he died for us. And Paul says, maybe someone, almost no one, but probably someone, will die for someone good. For a person of virtue, Someone just. But God is showing his love abundantly. Paul is saying it is impossible, humanly speaking, that someone could die for a sinner. And this is the gospel. Humans that had nothing to offer to God for gain his favor, those receive God's love. If we were good, we will not meet a savior. But we do. That's an undeniable truth that we desperately need a Savior. That we desperately need Jesus. Our weakness was so great that it was impossible for us. It was impossible for us to approach God. The love of God and the sacrificial death of Christ is the most complicated thing for me to understand. I have to be honest, makes no sense. It's no, it's, there's no logic there. 
And Paul is saying this masterfully. Dying for a righteous person makes sense. If I had to die, probably, probably, I'll say, well, I'll die for a scientist that probably will bring cure for a fatal disease. Or for someone that has saved a lot of people during war or from poverty. Probably. That's what Paul is saying. But dying for the thief? For the wicked? For the evil one? I surely will say, mm -mm, I will not. Why should I sacrifice my life for someone that is not doing nothing good for anybody? Why should I? Why should I do this? And this truth is just amazing. It's the mystery of the cross. There is logic to die for the righteous person. But let's just think about this. In this hypothetical dying situation for us that Paul is pull, it's pulling here out. And he's saying, let's think we need to die for someone. Let's just think about it. We're just thinking here. And we are putting certain considerations for our hypothetical death. It's not going to happen. It's just an idea, and we're putting certain conditions. Saying like, well, I don't know, I, I will do it, but probably if, if this person is able to do this, 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 probably there, I will. But for God was real. For Jesus was real. Because his love is absolutely real. God shows his love for us. While being still sinners, Christ died for us. And this was not a hypothetical exercise. This was for real. This was true. And it happened. And brothers, sisters, this, this truth just makes us face our problems in a different way. Which problems, which threat can change this overwhelming reality? Nothing can. Of course we're going to face problems, we'll suffer, we'll cry, we'll grieve. But just understanding that this love that sanctifies us fills us with confidence and hope to face life because nothing changes this reality. There's nothing that can alter this reality. That's where we stand. That's why we live the lives we live. That's why we can just jump out of bed. If not, it'll be frightening. Now the blessing of a reconciling salvation. Verses 9 to 11. Since therefore... We have now been justified by his blood. Much more shall we be saved by him from the wrath of God. For if while we were enemies, we were reconciled to God by the death of his son. Much more now that we are reconciled, 
shall we be saved by his life. More than that, we also rejoice in God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom we have now received reconciliation. The only thing we deserve from God is his righteous wrath. That's the only thing we deserve. But in spite of our sins, our daily sins, Jesus continues to intercede for us. It is incredible. It's incredible even to think that God gave everything. Jesus gave everything. We still fail and sin. And he still intercedes for us. He's still standing for us. Every day, every second. There's a debt we will never be able to pay. Ever. And we're still getting more blessings. That should be enough. Nobody can pay this debt, but God is adding and adding and adding. And he's not going to charge. This is for his glory. That's the glorious God we have. We're filled with blessings. Christ shed his blood, beloved brothers and sisters, to justify us in his blood. The coming judgment is real. It is true. The holy judgment of God will be executed without delay in the perfect moment that only the Father knows. That's why our preaching within the church and outside the church have a sense of urgency. And it makes sense that this urgency is real because the judgment is real. We cannot rest thinking, well, I'm saved. That's it. I am saved. Because if we are saved, if we are true believers, we can see the wrath and the judgment more clear than anybody. And we should be reacting to that. We need to proclaim this truth inside the church and outside the church. We need to proclaim outside for those who are convinced that there is no God. Or that God will never pour out his wrath or will never judge anybody. We need to preach outside the church because of this. But we also need to, to preach inside the church for those who think that Jesus is just a friend but not a Lord and Master. Our preaching is needed and is urgent. Also, our praise and our adoration has to happen and take place. We can't think so on a selfish way that our praises and adoration is just a time of fun. It's a, it's a time to proclaim who God is and how desperate the world needs this God. We cannot spare our praise and our adoration because we are safe. We have a life to proclaim that there is a way to be safe. He was raised from the dead. And this was so real that we have examples in the Bible. For example, in Acts. When Stephen was receiving and was getting all these stones, when he was being stoned, 
and these people were procuring his death, he saw Christ. He saw to the heavens and he saw Christ. He saw, his tr- he saw the truth. He saw his hope. Because his hope was placed on the firm foundation. Was placed on the rock of ages. In this hope and because this hope that does not embarrass anybody, he was able to look to the heavens and cry out for those who were killing him. Because his hope was in the right place. And we, today, enjoy the very same reconciling salvation that gives us certainty that we are saved by his perfect life, by his perfect work in the cross, and by his perfect and powerful resurrection. Throughout these passages, we have been able to observe how God loves us and how he has prepared blessings for us through the beautiful work of the Lord Jesus because we are justified in him. And that justification blesses us with a peaceful entrance, with a trust to face life, with the blessing of an incomparable love and with a reconciling salvation. We have been reconciled. And we rejoice in God because he loved us and he sent Jesus so we might be reconciled. We were not. And the people that think that God is just an entity, that it's friendly, they need to know they are not reconciled. They need Jesus. That reconciliation is that one that Adam and Eve were waiting since it was promised. In such hope, many have slept. In that hope, we will sleep if he doesn't come first. But we have certainty. We have been reconciled with God so that we can say, it is well with my soul. And we can praise with our voices. Though Satan should buffet, though trails should come, Let this blessed assurance control that Christ has regarded my helpless state and his own blood was shed for my soul. We can live in the midst of problems and attacks as our brothers last week, knowing that our faith one day is going to be a real A great reality. And we'll see Jesus coming, descending in his great majesty. And we will be be able to see that without fear because we have been reconciled. Because we are justified. Because we are blessed with the justification that Jesus gives us through faith. And Father, thank you for these truths. Thank you, Father, that we, we have access and that we can pray and we know you're listening because you love us. Father, I pray for my brothers and my sisters, for those who are suffering, 
for those who have someone that is suffering. Father, I pray that these truths will help us to understand how blessed we are and how we can live life for your glory. Help us, Father, to be the people you must have that we will live for your glory and we will live for the preaching of the salvation, of the reconciliation, of the justification by faith that gives us, us today the possibility to call you Father. And in, in the name of our Savior, Jesus Christ, we pray. Amen.